welcome to the Whatever Podcast with Mark Deal. Hey folks, thanks for stopping by again. I'm your host, Mark Deal. And you're listening to the Whatever with Mark Gill podcast. My guest today is an old friend, Hank Godwin, and he's going to be reading you some stories that he's written. Say hi to everybody, Hank. Hey, everybody. <laughs> when I when I first started thinking about doing a podcast, I was thinking about the stuff that I wanted to, to do, and I remembered the program that was around here a few years ago, Tales from the South, mm-hmm. and they would... Uh, Hosted it. At, I think the one that I went to was at Starving Artist Cafe. That's right. when I went and heard you. Right. They would record live at various restaurants and venues, and it would be uh, Southern folks reading Southern stories that they yeah, had written. Basically, anybody. The rules were if you lived in Arkansas and you had a story to tell, you could jump in front of the microphone. Yeah. So it's fun. So I thought that'd be great for the podcast. And so I'm I'm planning on doing. Something like that every few months, and uh, if if Hank enjoys what he does today and doesn't screw it up too bad, <laughs> he might become our our resident storyteller, and oh, and we we will have other folks on here reading stories too. So it was nice that you asked me to yeah. do this because I've written hundreds of things. You know, uh, I started out writing when um, just really kind of to process emotions. When my, when my brother died 30 some odd years ago, I, I had written a few things before that, you know, cheesy stuff to Liza when we were dating and all that <laughs> kind of thing. But I uh, felt like, I, you know, most guys can't process their emotions. They yeah. don't cry. They don't. Oh, I cry all the time. When I, I do cry, now. I cry at commercials. <laughs> But, you know, I cry movies. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm anything. You know, Field of Dreams. I'm, there, there's about five spots in there that yeah. I'm gonna cry. But that's the way I am now. Back then, I I just didn't had a hard time processing my emotions. Yeah. So I decided I found an outlet was to write. And since then, I've written I don't, I don't know probably a couple of hundred different little short stories and things and. And one night I was laying in bed in Lake City, Colorado, and I just heard about Tales from the South. And they had internet service, it was pretty good, pretty good Wi-Fi, so three o'clock in the morning I couldn't sleep. I just fired off a story <coughs> to Paula Morell, and, who was running it at that yeah. time. And, and uh, about a day later, I was still up there, she said, we picked your story. Well, cool. <laughs> Yeah, see, I, I never knew you you wrote until that came up, and I went down and and watched or listened, right. watched and listened. I thought that would be one of the stories I'd tell is that one that it was in. Um, it's the only thing I've ever had published in a book. Yeah, you know, Paula puts out a best of tales from the South, and mine was was chosen, and and I was real proud of it because if you look at the credentials of all the other writers mm-hmm. they were teachers and all these kind of things and I'm going I was just a you know, math major from Hendrix I, I just <laughs> I'm not a good writer I'm a fairly good storyteller kind of a person but I, I try hard yeah 
Now that's not still going on anywhere, is it? I think it is. I oh, think really? they it's still just not do, here. It's not. I don't think it's in Central Arkansas okay. anymore. I know Northwest Arkansas did a little bit of it. Um, I read three times three different stories, and uh, it was one of the best things I've I've ever done. Yeah. I mean, I loved every second of it. And and of course, you when you read, you hear two other people read usually, and I got to hear some people and visit with some yeah. people about that. Paula was great. I, she took my first story and gave me some really good advice. One of them was, you know, put the reader into the story immediately. So if you're writing short stories, I never had any training, no, no nothing about any training, creative writing or anything. Put the, put the reader into the story quickly. So catch them with something, and you can always build context later. And the other thing was, and you'll appreciate this, I'm being a technical person, assume that your readers can are smart enough to figure it out themselves. <laughs> and I would always want to paint the whole tapestry, you know, and leave no doubt as to what I was trying to get across. And she said, Hank, you don't have to do that. Yeah. People will draw their conclusions, and they may be different from yours, and that's okay too. So I, I, I love that yeah. that she helped, took the time and coached me on that. Well, I hope it's still going on. I did look, and there is a Tales from the South podcast still out there, but it, it seemed like all the stories that were there were several years old still. Because mm. I, I went out and listened to a story from uh, Kevin Delaney. Yeah. About uh, a giant monster catfish when he was growing up. It was a pretty cool story. <laughs> I tried to look through and see if I could find one that you had done, but it didn't seem like they had all of them. Yeah. So There's uh, there's three of them out there. Yeah. And, uh, um, to that end about processing emotions, my father died last November and uh, just got back from Lake City, which was a common place. We, we like to go up there in Colorado to, to kind of, my sister and I went out there together without in her husband and with my, without Miles and my wife and just kind of see what it was like to be out there by ourselves yeah. in the mountains and do it. So it's, to that end, I've written probably 10 or 12 things about my dad back when he was sick and then when he passed and yeah. all things. And I'm going to share one or two things with you, okay. if that's okay with yeah. you. You ready to hear something? Yeah, let's, let's yeah. Let's hear, let's hear some stories. All right. This first one I got to thinking about was, is, a, is a, a third part of a bigger piece, and the piece is called Out of the Mouths of Babes. And at the funeral for my father, people would just say random things. My son said something, and I, I said, wow, that's pretty cool. So I'd write up, wrote about five paragraphs mm -hmm. about that. And my, my nephew said something, and I said, wow, that's that's." very smart so I write something about that and my uncle said something and I know that doesn't really fit so I have a writer's note here you know my uncle Jay was the baby brother of the Godwin family I know it is a stretch but I wanted to add this inspiration to this piece and I had already picked the title so my sister and I are linked together by more than our good looks we share many memories of our childhood vacations some remarkably early Traveling to Colorado in a 1960 or earlier Volkswagen Beetle is one of the earliest. I, c I can describe almost every detail of that car, primarily because Debbie, my brother Carol, 
and I fought over every square inch of it, its, its interior. I think it is understandable for three, five, and six-year-old children confined for, for 10 hours in closed quarters to have one or two disputes. I remember the back boot area behind the back seat was prime sleeping area. Mom was the main disciplinarian, but I remember rare moments in the BW where Dad would reach back to tap us on the, our heads with his high school ring that he conveniently rotated on his finger for maximum effect. There were no words, just a well-placed thump. It hurt like hell. There was no space unreachable by my dad's long arm in the beetle. A classic VW beetle is funny looking enough, but picture a luggage rack full of camping equipment. I'm sure dad put our luggage in the front boot, but everything else went on top, including the spare. Not only is this a hilarious sight, it became an almost insurmountable hindrance as we traveled to the Colorado destination. The stacking of equipment on top became a huge sale. Highways are not made for hacking across the, to take advantage of the wind, especially in the Texas Panhandle. Of course, the wind never blows in the Texas Panhandle. These were minor hurdles for my dad's determination. The Texas gust and climbing, and climbing the passes of Colorado had to be a frustrating feat. That generation VW was nearly 1,600 pounds empty. I'm sure with my dad's preparation skill, he did not leave any equipment behind. I bet we were considerably north of a ton and a half. The air-cooled engine probably pumped out a generous 35 horsepower on a good day, not choking for air at 10,000 feet. Picture a mid-model Cub Cadet lawnmower from Home Depot with luggage, camping equipment, and three screaming kids strapped to the mowing deck. That was our vehicle that my dad trusted all that he loved on our earliest trips to Colorado. I think everyone in our family wishes we still had that Beetle. I, for one, was glad to see it replaced by our 1964 Ford Country Squire station wagon. There were places inside it that Dad couldn't reach with his class ring. <laughs> oh, I, I remember those days like it was yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was good. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. We went to Colorado every year. Every vacation my, my dad had, we would go to Colorado. Yeah. And from the Texas Panhandle, it's not it's eight and a half hours up to either northern New Mexico or Colorado. Liza, my, she just does not understand that. You know, they would go all these different places, uh -huh. you know, and we created a tradition and still do it. And part of what I got back from Colorado this time was my brother's children were up there and I figured out they have their own tradition. They've yeah. been 12, 15 times or more together up there to the same place. Nice. Oh, it's pretty amazing kind of thing. So, uh, would you like me to read another one? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to read, oh, I, I've mentioned that I, I'm not a really good writer. You know, when I was at Hendrix, I shied away from, you know, composition or read, actually reading anything because I was such a slow reader. Now, math and science and all those kind of things, but didn't even already have to breathe hard to, to do that kind of stuff. <laughs> but 
now, and I think it was Paula Morrell from Tales of the South, she kind of got me into thinking about, you know, that words matter. And there's times when I know a paragraph is just perfect because all the words that I've picked kind of fit together. Now, I can't say I've written very much uh, perfect things, but there is one, one poem that I wrote that I consider perfect. And um, I think I'll read that now. Okay. That's okay. Yeah. Give you a little context. I know you know I'm involved in a ministry similar to what you're mm -hmm. you're doing that you've kind of wrapped your life around it and enjoy it and and it's a big part of your life. Well, the same thing with me with Ozark Mission Project and uh, I've done 21 years of camp ministry. It's basically high school, junior high, when adult camp yeah. min ministry. We go out and do home repair. Well, we were up in. I had, that, I had that in my notes. Oh, in your notes uh -huh. to talk about. Yeah, well, a little bit, and we might have you back on another show, not on stories. I want, I want you to do something. I, I brought something to give you. It's this book, because the last two books I've done were kind of journals of events uh -huh. and special things. Like this is a fishing book of journal of a bunch of my friends who've been to Colorado together for 30 years together. Uh -huh. But I thought about you and the band ministry about, I know you have to honor your the people that you're serving and all that kind of stuff, but I think there's ways to do that. But telling stories that will make make the ministry go better and yeah. things like that are, uh, were, were easy for me with Ozark Mission Project. And I, I helped them with a 25th anniversary journal and plan to help them with a 35th anniversary journal with my fishing buddies I've done a 25th anniversary journal and we just recently finished a 30th anniversary journal and we solicited writings from other fishermen that go uh -huh. and, and this one got really pretty creative about uh, the places we like to fish and I had no I, with me I'm a softy I there's places up there that I go and I just sit on the bank and I don't even fish. You know, I just love them so much. And I found out that there's a lot of these old rugged lion fishermen that are just the same way. Yeah. They just, so they wrote their stories in the book and everything. I'll, I'm going to leave that with okay. you. But I, I think you, you ought to do something like that for the ministry you're involved in. Well, to be honest, the reason that I bought this digital recorder was a friend of mine and mine we had been talking about we would like to go out and visit some of the some of the folks that we see oh, yeah. and have them tell their stories. And that so we, we talked some about that, and, uh, I, you know, I, I got far enough along that I looked to see what, you know, about equipment and stuff, and I went ahead and bought it. And then not too long after that is when Aaron decided that he, he was going to do the radio show. And I said, well... Yeah, you got that, it. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but I'll, I'll, I think I'd like to come back so, maybe and talk about Ozark Mission yeah. Project because I've jotted down a lot of what we call the neighbor stories. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know you'll get this. When, when you go out and do something unconditionally for somebody you don't even know just to help them out, help a need, it is the most... A rewarding experience you'll have in your life and it and it um, it 
grabbed a hold of me 21 years ago and it didn't let go. <coughs> so I, I, it's hard to describe, but that transformation that yeah. you go through is is really hard. Um, but it's one of the best things ever happened to me. So uh, Ozark Mission Project, the model is four kids and an adult and some help around that go out and help um, a person in need. That's basically it. We call that person in need a neighbor. And that neighbor could be elderly, young, whatever. It doesn't matter. Need really doesn't have a color or socioeconomic, social economic footprint, in my opinion. It could be anything. In this particular case, and what I wrote about here, was a grandfather. His name was Topper. His mother, I guess the great-grandmother, lived in and they lived in a trailer and they were the ward of three precious children whose parents made some bad choices so they were living with Topper, the grandparent and the great grandmother. And their names were Brandon the oldest, uh, Cassie and Destiny. And we had a hard time finding a project. This was up around the Mountain View area. And this was the first time we'd done a camp up there and sometimes people don't they don't want to sign a piece of paper from people they don't know, and especially people in need, and uh, they're just not trusting. But we had a hard time finding projects. And this particular project, uh, the uh, trailer had burned down, burned to the ground, and they had replaced this double-wide trailer with a, a smaller trailer, and they were all kind of crammed in that. So we were out there to build them a wheelchair ramp for the grandmother, uh, but they kept saying what we really need is more room and I just finished up doing a room addition on my house and I said can we do this and sure enough we signed up to do a 12 by 12 room addition and keep in mind this is five days we did this in room addition and the wheelchair ramp a 16 foot wheelchair ramp off of that room addition to do it so that was the project but these and how many folks was it it was uh Four, four. Four, four high school kids, one adult who was like a college-age person, and then me. I was supposed to be the director of the camp, but I knew if we signed up for it, I was going to be out there. Yeah. And we had another co-director that could take on my responsibilities. And it was 45 minutes from where we, we slept at uh, Mount Eagle. And um, so it was an hour and a half commute every day to go out there and back. So... Um, but anyway, we got to know the kids really, really well. And those kids, and this happens a lot when there are young children involved. They want to be involved. And they, this girl, Cassie, would hand me every nail I drove. This was before cordless screw guns. This was back in 2007. And so she would hand me every nail. And so it was one at a time. I'd hammer it in, hand me another one, hammer it in, hammer it And we had to send them in to get naps because we would never have finished the yeah. project. <laughs> you know, every board we cut, they wanted to be involved in and everything. And uh, the 14-year-old boy was really helpful. Keep in mind, this is Arkansas summer in July. It was 100 degrees every day. It hit literally 100 degrees, and we were putting a tin roof on. He and I were up on top of that roof with gloves on and to hammer in these, these nails and through that tin. It was... It was 
something. And, I, of course, I'm, I'm choking up just thinking about yeah. him on top of that roof. Just finish that story up. Brandon kept asking me. He said, Mr. Hank, you're going to be here Friday, aren't you? And I said, sure, I'll be here. And sometimes the neighbors wanting to pay back, pay us back, they do things for us. And this one, they wanted to, to give us a meal. Brandon, the 14-year-old, I found out later, had cooked most of their meals for that family. He got up at 4 in the morning and cooked a turkey that was given to them with sweet potatoes, with marshmallows on it, rolls and everything, and, and green beans for everybody there for for lunch. It was one of the oh, most cool. amazing experiences I've ever had. Yeah. And, um, and again, we... We coach our, our people that go into these family situations that that empowers them. You know, whatever they do, if they want to give you $5, you take it, you know, that kind of thing. So it was a rare, very, very special uh, five days in my life. But anyway, I, I, the kids would have to go to counseling every day. Topper, the grandfather, would take them to counseling. So I, when I got back and actually... Uh, couple of years later I wrote this poem and I believe this poem is the only thing I've ever written that is that every word is perfect when we would go out there we would sit in their yard which was gravel from Ozark streams you know they don't go buy gravel they just go load it up out of the stream up there in the Ozarks and so Cassie would take these uh, rocks and she'd say Hank Mr. Hank what do you see in this and she'd show me these rocks. I said, that looks like a, a uh, elephant to me. And she says, no, it's a lion. Don't you see his eyes? And don't you see his <laughs> So, I mean, she's, you know, eight years old, yeah. I think. So, um, again, it, it, it moved me so much, that one situation about her situation, which was not a really good situation except for that week. And I do realize we made a big big dent in her life and big impact in her life and in Brandon's and Destin. But anyway, here's the poem. It's just simply titled Cassie. And it's dedicated to Megan Monk, who is uh, one of the high school age kids. And this I gave this to her when she got married. Uh, that was there. And I'll see if I can get through it. <laughs> Hovering over ancient rocks, always near, Silent as a bashful ghost, barely a wisp. Turning the rocks as knobs, seeking to align this complex universe to repair it. For it has been wrong. Nothing has been as it should, not to her. So she turns the rocks as the Ozark stream once did, searching for answers praying that for the first time the rocks will settle as a solved puzzle making her happy. I wouldn't change a word. No, I wouldn't either. But I know we're both crying. <laughs> that was for Diana. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my. So, where do you get your hair cut, by the way? Diana. Oh, she does. Uh huh. Well, she she's done it since I was fifteen. When we, not soon after we started dating, I had her. I used to always get it cut by my uncle. He had a barber shop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
we didn't see eye to eye on how it should be cut. You know, uh-huh. this was you and sixties and seventies. No, me and my uncle. <laughs> oh yeah, you know. burr with the bumper. <laughs> it, it wasn't a burr, but it it was pretty short. And uh, so, as soon as I found out that Diana could cut it, she's cut it for since then. Except for there's probably been three or four occasions. I surprised her one year for her birthday. I went up to the mall when they had yeah. J.C. Penney or somebody had, because it had gotten, you know, it used to be shoulder length and, yeah. you know, and so I went up and got a real short haircut just to surprise her. And then <laughs> several years ago, there was a, a girl from church that uh, we'd gotten involved with and she had gotten into the beauty school over okay. here, the Paul Morrell or whatever. Right. And one of the things you had to do, you know, you Cut had to. people's hair. Uh-huh. So I got to go be, I think, like her first first <laughs> haircut. I, th- I think I did it twice. I, th- I think I did it for her twice. And uh, Well, I'm going to come to Diana now, but I, I love my barber so much. One of my short stories is about my barber. Yeah. And it's up here at the... Um, uh, what's it called? The back porch or the front porch or something right here on uh, just close. Yes. Yeah, it's right over right here. Over, I've, I've gone to him. I haven't, uh, I might've had him cut my hair once. Oh, and there, there was one other time that I've, I had hair cut when uh, Dinah's mom died. We were in, mm. gone up to Missouri and right. I went in and had him haircut and shave and everything. But, but I have gone to this guy. One. Yeah, yeah, to to shave, you know, because every once in a while I'll, I'll grow a beard, and when it comes time to cut one off, that's a pain. Yeah, so that's a god thing because on my bucket list is to have my barber give me a shave. Well, I like it. Well, I bet it looks like it'd be kind of fun yeah. if you got one you trust. Yeah. But. Well, the first time I went to him the night before, I had watched the Johnny Depp movie. Uh, Sweeney Todd. Yeah, oh yeah. You know, where, you know, and <laughs> so I went in, you know, have him uh, give me a shave and uh, he cut me. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he cut me a couple of times. He had these real, really sharp blades and, uh, you know, we kind of joked about it. But then I went, <laughs> I've, I've been two or three times and, you know, the last time I went, he had changed blades and he didn't cut me, but he remembered. Yeah. Cut you? <laughs> yeah. This was Juan. Yes. Not Gary, the no, other guy. No, Oh, this is Juan. Juan. Well, I'm going to yeah. get Gary to cut me, yeah. I mean, to not cut me, yeah. to give me a one. I, I thought you might know who I'm talking about, so I brought that story, too. And um, I, this was probably back when you and I were riding together with Jim Murphy that I just appealed uh, one time just um, I thought, why am I paying money to people that I don't really – they don't represent my values or, or whatever. And this happened when I was at going to a barbershop and and they were just saying the N word over and over uh-huh. and over and I said, I, I don't I'm not going here anymore. Yeah. So uh that was my experience. And I've been going to Jay, who was sold the barbershop to uh Juan. Uh I've been going to him, gosh. 25 years or something, you know, and then when he sold to Juan, I said, well, I'll, 
I'll go in there. It's a 19-year-old kid that bought this, <laughs> and he's just going to try to make it work. I'm going, I'm going to support that. It's in my neighborhood. I'm going to do this. So, but I had a, some disturbing things happen when the first couple of times I went in there, so I I wrote this story. So this is just kind of a, things happen like this in my yeah. life all the time. I mean, I'll get home and I'll just, I need to write that down, you know, just to document that. So if you're okay, I'll read. Yep. I'll read this. It's called Radio, and it's dedicated to Juan, my barber. I wrote this in 2015. I was really nervous and disturbed, trapped in one of my own boldly arrogant statements. I'm too old to remain silent. I had vowed to never support businesses or people that preached hate or ideologies that separated us from God. Shortly after Liza and I moved to North Little Rock, I chose a barber. In those years, I had only one criteria for products and services, cheap. We were so poor. I was comfortable with my choice for a few years until I noticed that I was being subjected on many occasions to my barber and his clientele liberally using the N-word. I realized I was supporting this thinking with my silence and money. I could choose to go somewhere else to get my hair cut. I did and have been coming to my current location since 1985. I don't go to a salon. I go to a barbershop complete with a spinning pole light out front. Up until very recently, I paid much less than $10 for a haircut. However, a man's barber, not stylist, is just as important to his life as his truck or fishing pole. I've really only had three barbers in my life, not counting my father. This was going to be a big and emotional moment. I had to fire my barber again. This one was going to hurt. I respected and liked him very much. Juan was the second barber at this location. He had bought the barbershop only a few years earlier at age 19 from my former barber. He owned it now in every way. He slowly and seamlessly etched his personality into the shop. He installed new HVAC, painted, and decorated. All he did, him, all he did himself, and I suspect he did, did it as he earned each new dollar. He would proudly spend part of that dollar investing in his business. However, I couldn't compromise on my bold procl proclamation, could I? Fearing Juan's reaction, I waited until he finished my cut to launch into my dissertation. The shop had conveniently emptied out as just the right moment. In hindsight, I understand how this happened. I was prepared. I would tell Juan why I left, his first bar left my first barber and ease into my polite termination of his services for similar reasons. Did I use the N-word, Juan asked? Oops, I hadn't planned on a conversation. I informed him that he had not, but I couldn't stand for the hate speak he was blasting on his radio. I assumed he felt similarly to what I heard on the radio. I don't listen to talk radio very often, but the last few times I had gotten my hair cut, it was all I could do to not reach over and rudely turn off the, sh the shouting heads. In fact, I asked that he switch stations one time. I had rationalized telling Juan, instead of just quietly walking away by need, by need to pass on some coaching to his, this young businessman. I'm sure it never occurred to him that his offensive actions, albeit 
to only a few had consequences. I'm so glad it turned into a conversation. Hank, I don't even listen to it. I just like having the background noise. I usually mute it when no one's in the shop. We then launched into what disturbed me about the content. I explained I'm tired of hypocrisy and I'm trying to find common ground, not anything that separates us from each other or our God. I knew Juan was a strong Pentecostal. He immediately jumped into the conversation with mature thought. We talked about Ferguson, welfare, and politics. When the subject turned to immigration, he shared some very personal things about his own family. His father was an illegal. It had taken his father four years to gain his citizenship. It was not an easy or welcoming process. His mom worked multiple jobs to help raise four children. His family was helped with food stamps until they could get on their own feet. He proudly proclaimed that his mom is now a nurse. I was near tears. Yet again, God was, was pointing out my own, uh, my own out of control ego, pride, and maybe just a bit of my own hypocrisy. I don't know why I'm surprised to be in these precious moments when they happen. I now recognize these frequent events in my life and I know they are, are not coincidences. They are God things. What if I just walked away? What if I remained silent? Again, I'm disappointed that I seem to never leave room for God's involvement in my life until it has happened. My other reflection of this moment is I'm filled with hope, not just for a young entrepreneur, but for us all. Civil and respectful discussion will always yield an honest understanding of even the most caustic and der derisive topics. Oh, that was good. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> he's he's a he's become a really good friend. Yeah, and, and he hired Gary, another Pentecostal down there, a good friend of his, I guess. And and I just go in there, and immediately we start trash talking. You know, just just finding out what's going on and. Having a good time, you know. It, I just love it. It's 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 the way a barbershop ought to be. Yeah. Uh, so anyway. well, I need to not shave for about a month so I can go get another shave. From Diana, me. it's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and what's funny, like I said, I've been in there two or three times over the last three or four years, yeah. and he remembers who I am every time I come in. That, <laughs> That's a good quality in a business oh, yeah. person, you yeah. know, and I'm always amazed at people that can do that because I don't remember people at all, yeah. you know, and if I see them out of context, you know, I could see you every day, and if I see you in some place that you're not supposed to be, you're, yeah, you know, then, gosh, they look familiar. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I just had that happen to me a lot up here. I mean, just, I came straight from a funeral to here oh. from a... I don't know if you knew the Dean family, but Robin Dean, who's, uh, she is a really special person, you know, one in a hundred million people kind of person. And of course our church was packed, probably 800 people were there and the sanctuary only holds about 500. So had another space with streaming and all this kind of stuff. It was, but to your point, there were a lot of people there I hadn't seen in 20 years and I'm going, man, they got old. Yeah. <laughs> well, well I, we've gotten old. Well, I, you, know, you just recently. When did you retire? You just turned sixty-five this yes. year. Yes, but you retired sooner than that. I retired at fifty-nine. 
15, oh, you've been retired for a while. Yeah. I, man, I, Mark, I need to coach you some. Yeah. And you need to retire. Well, I'm, I'm planning on it. I turned 62 in November. I'm not going to retire then. I had originally planned on doing that, but some things. Is Diana retired? Yeah, she retired oh, okay. a few years ago when she was taking care of her mom. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm planning on 63. Well, you've got a plan. Whether I can afford it or not. You know, it's one of those, I'm, I'm going to do it, and we will get by. <laughs> yes. Well, I knew I had to piece it out. You know, save, 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 save till it hurt. And so I said, I got to get to six, at least 65. I had planned to go into 66, but I got to 65 and I said, uh, I want to leave a little bit of fun money in that IRA. So I went ahead and retired at 65 and got my Social Security. Yeah. Of course, I'm telling you, your 65th birthday is like Christmas and birthdays all wrapped <laughs> in one. I got my lifetime fishing license. I got my Medicare card, and I took my Social Security. It's the greatest day, I think, of all 65. <laughs> it's a great birthday. Well, cool. <laughs> so. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. I've got, I've got too many other things that I want to do. Well, and, and work just gets in the way. <laughs> well, that, you're actually the number one thing when I talk to people about retirement is you need to have a plan. You know, not a financial plan. You, well, of course, you, you better have had a financial plan, you know. Or, but in a lot of ways, I'll tell you a story about my dad in just a second. Just it'll make you confident that you can do this. Um, but you need to have a plan for what are you going to do with your life. I mean, you can't sit around and watch TV all day. Well, and, I could. Yeah. I could until I met a guy <laughs> named Aaron Redden, and he's ruined the rest of my life. But... <laughs> There's a shout-out to the man. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but, see, I've got my Ozark Mission Project. I've got my fishing. You know, I'm, 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 you've got to have a plan. You can't. And um, so you, you're, you're set. You're ready. You're prepared. You can go do this. So I'm going to tell you my dad's retirement story since this has a theme to it. Okay. Okay. Um, my dad worked for Braniff Airlines for 30-some-odd years. He walked off of the farm in Mobiti, Texas, went up to Amarillo after he got out of, got out of the Army and uh, went up there and asked for, went to the airport in Amarillo, Texas and see if he had a job. The only job they had was hanging the windsock. So he would hang the windsock and do maintenance duty there at the airport. Well, he eventually got on with Braniff Airlines. I don't know if you know anything about Braniff, but they were a big-time airline back they were head in head against American Airlines back in the day. Well, they made some poor financial decisions, bought a bunch of planes at the wrong time, and so they went under. Well, my dad was 57 or 59 when they went under the first time, and he was one of the last guys to turn off the lights when it failed the first time. When, the, when it started back up, he was one of the first guys they hired back to turn on the lights. And then it went down again. And he went, he went through it three times. Here's the bad thing about it for my dad. He worked 30-some-odd years, and those were the days of, like, Enron and stuff like that where all of their retirement was in stock for that company. Not good. So I think my dad had literally $10,000 is all 
had saved up in those days. And that he put it away, and it did save up, you know, a little bit. But my dad uh, basically was forced retirement when the company went under, and he pieced it out till 62 or whenever it was to get his Social Security. And he and my stepmom lived on their Social Security and that little bit of IRA uh, for the rest of their lives. My dad fished 250 days <laughs> a year, had his own home, and my sister and I just distributed the estate, which he had uh, somehow accumulated stuff through his own home and stuff like that. So I'm telling you, you can do it on nothing. It's all about what do you want to do in your retirement. And, and um, there's a good thing about giving back to others, and it doesn't cost a whole lot of money. Sometimes, you know. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, you'll love it. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I'm hoping you will become our, our resident storyteller uh, <laughs> when we do it again, and we will get together and talk about Ozark Mission projects well, that, some more. That'd be wonderful. So. I can even bring a guest speaker if you want. Okay, we'll we'll do that. I'll sometime. bring the executive director okay. <laughs> here. She owes me. <laughs> Mark, this has been a lot of fun. I'm glad you're doing this. Well, it's good. Really cool. I'm I'm enjoying it. Yeah, so. I could tell it in in uh, what's your name, Lori, or Lo your granddaughter's name, Rory. Rory. I could tell it in her voice that she was she was proud of her grandfather uh, for doing that and having a good time. Yeah, she likes talking on the, into the microphone. <laughs> but uh, so. That'll do it for today. I uh, hope you all enjoyed the show. If you did, you know, like us on Facebook, on however you listen to us. Uh, leave us some comments. We are now on iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, Google Music Play. So you can find us all over the place. Uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye.